Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for November 12, 2022 Saturday reading of the Arapaho County News. My name is Pablo. Today, we will be reading the following main articles. Trump loyalist Boebert's re-election bid could go to recount by Jesse Bedane and James Anderson. Ernie Clark, founder of Second Chance Bikes, has died by Max Levy. Goodwill Eyes Aurora for its next high school for adults by Max Levy. Owner of Aurora Home Healthcare Services provider accused of Medicaid fraud by Kara Mason and following up with miscellaneous articles. Trump loyalist Boebert's re-election bid could go to recount by Jesse Bedane and James Anderson, Associated Press, November 10, 2022. Denver Republican U.S. Representative Lauren Boebert's race remained extremely tight on Thursday and could be headed for a recount in the GOP Firebrand's bid for re-election against Democrat Adam Frisch, a former city council member from the upscale ski town of Aspen, Colorado. The tightness of the race has garnered national attention as Republicans inch closer to the 218 seats that would give them control of the U.S. House. Boebert was seen as a lock in the state's sprawling, conservative-leaning 3rd Congressional District, but she trailed on election night and only took a roughly 1,200-vote lead after two days of additional counting with thousands of ballots left to be tabulated. The margin gave her a 0.4 percentage point lead. Within the 0.5-point margin, that triggers an automatic recount. Bobert, a staunch Trump loyalist, fashions herself as a fighter in a broader cultural crusade for the soul of the nation and earned a spot on the so-called, quote, MAGA squad, unquote, alongside Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. Even as a freshman representative, Bobert's brash style gained her national TV appearances, widespread notoriety, and a loyal following. During President Joe Biden's State of the Union address in March, Boebert interrupted a somber moment about Biden's son to blame the president for 13 service members who were killed during the U.S. withdrawal in Afghanistan. Frisch was expected to face long odds after redistricting made the already conservative district, which elected former President Donald Trump by a 15-point margin in 2016, more Republican. But the Democratic challenger, who downplayed his political party and pitched a pro-business and pro-energy platform, remained adamant that Republican voters were tired of what he called Borbert's, quote, angertainment, unquote, and bet on a portion of GOP voters jumping ship. To Frisch, the slim margin in the election speaks to his ability to build a broad bipartisan coalition by touting himself as a moderate. If Boebert loses, it would be another hit to the disappointing results for the GOP on Tuesday night after the anticipated red wave never made the shore. But Boebert and her supporters weren't considering that option on Thursday. Quote, 
We're confident Lauren Boebert will win re-election, unquote, said Courtney Parella, spokeswoman for the National Republican Congressional Committee, whose mission is to elect Republicans to the House of Representatives. Thursday morning, Boebert tweeted, quote, winning, unquote. Shortly after, Frisch wrote in a statement, quote, the closeness of this race is a testament to the fact that the people of western and southern Colorado are growing tired of the entertainment industry that Bobert is a part of and want a representative who will fight for bipartisan solutions, unquote. During the campaign, Bobert and Frisch clashed less on policy issues and more on character. The incumbent claimed Frisch was a closeted leftist who would discard his conservative platform once in Congress, while the challenger fashioned himself as a competent and tempered alternative. Both Frisch's and Boebert's campaigns said they are closely watching the race in anticipation of further ballot drops from counties still counting votes and that neither have reached out to attorneys. In closely watched Pueblo County, Exhausted election workers on Thursday were processing roughly 3,200 mail-in ballots and 1,800 in-person last-day ballots, said Gilbert Ortiz, the county clerk and recorder. In Colorado, county elections boards have until November 30th to certify their election results and submit those to the Secretary of State's office, which has a December 5th deadline to issue its own certification or order mandatory recounts. Any recounts requested by a candidate or other parties must be paid for by that candidate or other party and must be completed by December 15th. Elections officials urged the public to be patient, saying vote counting was proceeding according to established procedure with no reported irregularities. The sprawling district covers much of western and southern Colorado, including ranches, ski resorts, and national forest land as well as the cities of Pueblo and Grand Junction. Grand Junction is in Mesa County, where County Clerk Tina Peters has been charged with allegedly allowing outsiders to break into her election system. She has been barred from overseeing elections there. In Pueblo County, the count would take all day, Ortiz said. And under state law, officials have nine days after election or until November 17th to receive overseas and military ballots, as well as to, quote, cure, unquote, or verify ballots in hand that have voter signatures that cannot be immediately verified, he said. Some of Pueblo County's bipartisan citizen elections judges who open and verify ballots and feed them into the machines have left for other commitments or exhaustion, meaning there are fewer people on hand to process ballots, Ortiz said. Quote, we just want to make sure that our numbers are accurate and we are not willing to sacrifice accuracy for speed, unquote, Ortiz said. Quote, at this point, we just want to finish today, unquote. Ernie Clark, founder of Second Chance Bikes, has died by Max Levy, Sentinel Staff Writer, November 10, 2022. Aurora Ernie Clark, the affable ex-cop behind Aurora's non-profit Second Chance Bicycle Shop, died this week, according to his family. He was in his 60s, according to past Sentinel reporting. 
Details surrounding his death were not disclosed. Clark fell in love with the mountains of Colorado nearly 50 years ago and retired from his job as a New Jersey police officer to come to the Centennial State. He leaves behind a decades-long legacy of helping thousands of people by providing bicycles to young children, homeless people, and others in need. Clark accomplished this despite having to pick up and move second-chance bike shops several times. Most recently, the redevelopment of the East Bank Shopping Center in southwest Aurora forced the shop to close its doors in October. But while Clark's death and the East Bank redevelopment may have cast uncertainty over the future of Second Chance, his daughter told the Sentinel she is committed to making sure her father's legacy lives on. Quote, I told him, come hell or high water, we're going to keep it going, unquote, she said Thursday. Goodwill Eyes Aurora for its next High School for Adults by Max Levy, Sentinel Staff Writer, November 11th, 2022. Aurora. Adults seeking a high school diploma could soon earn theirs through a dedicated institution in Aurora, as the city is poised to become the first in the state to welcome Goodwill's, quote, high school for adults, unquote. Quote, the school's model started with the Goodwill in Indiana about 13 years ago, and it's changing lives every day, unquote. The nonprofit's local vice president of human resources and workforce development, Gary Smith, said Monday in an Aurora City Council meeting, quote, we want to bring those same results to Colorado, unquote. The Goodwill Excel Center would be located at the northeast corner of Illiff Avenue and Chambers Road, where the nonprofit owns a shopping center and runs a thrift store. Representatives from Goodwill described their plans for the center to the city council on Monday. Around 11.5% of Americans and 12.6% of Aurorans aged 25 and older are without their high school diploma or its equivalent, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. Diplomas are an educational milestone and a prerequisite for many jobs and college programs. Sarah Thomas, who represents Excel Center schools at the national level, said Goodwill's model grew out of the nonprofit's workforce development work in Indiana, where they found around half of the adults who they were placing in entry-level jobs lacked their high school diplomas. She said the Excel Center meets its students where they are and doesn't have any minimum educational requirements for enrollment. The center also helps prepare students for jobs and obtaining a college degree once they graduate and offers free transportation assistance and free on-site child care. According to the University of Notre Dame, five years after applying to the Excel Center, Students on average are earning 39% more than they did before and are more likely to be employed and have some college education. Thomas said about 38% of students go on to earn a two- or four-year degree. Quote, typically for adults, a high school diploma on its own isn't going to be enough to get that good family-sustaining wage, unquote, she said. Quote, Ultimately, we want our students to have good jobs that offer living wages, benefits, 
and opportunities for growth, unquote. Goodwill operates more than 30 of the schools across the country. James Sanchez, director of Goodwill of Colorado, said the nonprofit looked at opening the school in Colorado Springs but settled on the Aurora location because of their property's size and location to public transportation. Sanchez said the school would accommodate between 200 and 300 students at a time and feature a dozen classrooms as well as computer labs, study areas, and a drop-in daycare center. He said Goodwill was prepared to invest as much as $2.5 million to set up the school and another said State Senator Janet Buckner would be helping them get funding from the state to fund tuition for each student. Councilmember Angela Lawson said the school could open in Aurora as soon as 2024. Owner of Aurora Home Healthcare Services Provider Accused of Medicaid Fraud by Kara Mason, Sentinel Managing Editor, November 11, 2022. Aurora. An Aurora woman is accused of felony fraud for overbilling Medicaid for home health care services reportedly provided by her company, Aggies Angels Care Providers. An investigation by the Colorado Department of Law's Medicaid Fraud Control Unit found that D. Jane Renice Letney regularly filed and received Medicaid reimbursement for services that Aggies Angels had not provided. The company mainly serves seniors and people with developmental disabilities. An arrest affidavit for Letney says she was billing, quote, hundreds of man-hours of service sufficient to cover anywhere from a 6- to 12-month time frame of services within a matter of a couple of calendar days, a time frame in which it is not possible to perform that quantity of service hours, unquote. Investigators say between November 9, 2019 and October 1, 2022, there were a total of 319 claims paid totaling $526,293.89. The total value of the alleged theft is $372,150.47, according to the affidavit. Latini first told investigators that the overfilling was due to an issue with a billing company called Affordable Professional Billing Services and she was trying to correct it but investigators later learned the company didn't exist at all and that the company was, quote, fabricated in an effort to hinder the investigation, unquote. Aggies Angel says on its website that the company, quote, has been built upon solid, wholesome morals and ethics, unquote. Latini is charged with Medicaid fraud and waste, which is a Class three felony. She also faces charges for cybercrime, falsifying documents, and attempting to influence a public servant, all felonies. Quote, home health care is sometimes a patient's only option, and taking advantage of a system that helps the most vulnerable Coloradans puts this care in jeopardy. Unquote. Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser said in a statement about the case, Quote, we will continue to hold accountable those who take advantage of the state's Medicaid system. Unquote. 
police arrest cousin of man suspected of killing four people in Aurora by Kara Mason, Sentinel Managing Editor, November 10th, 2022. Aurora. Aurora police announced Thursday a man has been arrested and accused of helping his cousin, wanted for a quadruple murder, evade police. Carlos Casillas Flores, 22, was arrested in Denver on November 10th, according to the Aurora Police Department. While law enforcement officials say they don't believe Casillas Flores was involved in the murders of four people on October 30th, they do think he helped 21-year-old Joseph Mario Castorina with, quote, avoiding apprehension, unquote. Last week, Castorina's 18-year-old brother, Juan Angel Castorina, was also arrested in Denver and faces charges of accessory after the fact. It's not believed he was directly involved with the shooting either. The shooting happened in the early hours of October 30th. Police were called to the 900 block of Geneva Street just after 2 a.m. for, quote, suspicious activity, unquote. Police say a dispatcher heard gunshots while on the call three minutes later and the call was upgraded. At 2.15 a.m., police arrived at a home near East 10th Avenue and Geneva Street where they found four dead adults. The Arapahoe County Coroner's Office identified the four as 51-year-old Jesus Serrano, 22-year-old Maria Anita Serrano, 20-year-old Kenneth Eugene Green Luke, and 49-year-old Rudolfo Saldago Perez. The deaths were classified as homicides. Police say they also, quote, rescued, unquote, two young children and a woman who was later identified as Castorina's ex-girlfriend at the scene. All were unharmed. Police say they believe the incident stemmed from a domestic situation between the surviving woman and Castorina. Last week, the Associated Press reported that court documents show Castorina threatened to kill his ex-girlfriend a week before the shooting. There is now a combined $15,000 reward for information leading to Castorina's arrest. Anybody with information is asked to call Crime Stoppers at 720-913-7867. Tipsters may remain anonymous. Friday shooting in Aurora kills boy, 12, injures another, 14, arrest made Saturday, by Kara Mason, Sentinel Managing Editor, November 11, 2022. Aurora An afternoon shooting in North Aurora Friday left one 12-year-old boy dead and a 14-year-old boy hospitalized with serious injuries. Police arrested 18-year-old Rolando Felipe in connection with the shooting, asking prosecutors to file murder and attempted murder charges. Officers responded to a shooting about 3 p.m. Friday in the 900 block Zion Street according to a statement by Aurora Police Agent Matthew Longshore. Quote, Initial details obtained by responding officers indicated that shots were fired from the inside of an Agura sedan at the two boys walking up the street, unquote, Longshore said. The car left the scene, but it was later located, police said. 
Police did not say who was driving the car or if others are involved in the shooting. When police and rescuers arrived, they found two young boys, who police say are related, suffering gunshot wounds. Both were transported to the hospital, where the younger boy was pronounced dead. It's unclear whether the boys were alone or other people were at the scene at the time of the shooting. Police did not release a motive in the shooting but said the victims knew Philippe. The Arapahoe County's coroner's office will identify the deceased victim after family has been notified. Police said anyone with information can call Metro Denver Crime Stoppers at 720-913-7867. Tipsters can remain anonymous and still be eligible for a reward of up to $2,000, police said. UN Climate Talks Near Halftime with Key Issues Unresolved by The Sentinel, November 12, 2022 Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt As the UN climate talks in Egypt near the halfway point, negotiators are working hard to draft deals on a wide range of issues they'll put to ministers next week in the hope of getting a substantial result by the end. The two-week meeting in Sharm el-Sheikh started with strong appeals from world leaders for greater efforts to curb greenhouse gas emissions and help poor nations cope with global warming. Scientists say the amount of greenhouse gases being pumped into the atmosphere needs to be halved by 2030 to meet the goals of the Paris Climate Accord. The 2015 pact set a target of ideally limiting temperature rise to 1.5 Celsius or 2.7 Fahrenheit by the end of the century, but left it up to countries to decide how they want to do so. With impacts from climate change already felt across the globe, particularly by the world's poorest, There has also been a push by campaigners and developing nations for rich polluters to stump up more cash. This would be used to help developing countries shift to clean energy and adapt to global warming. Increasingly, there are also calls for compensation to pay for climate-related losses. Here is a look at the main issues on the table at the COP27 talks, and how they might be reflected in a final agreement. Keeping cool The hosts of last year's talks in Glasgow said they managed to quote, keep 1.5 alive, unquote, including by getting countries to endorse the target in the outcome document. But UN Chief Antonio Gutierrez has warned that the temperature goal is on life support, quote, and the machines are rattling, unquote. And campaigners were disappointed that agenda this year doesn't explicitly cite the threshold after pushback from some major oil and gas exporting nations. The talks chair Egypt can still convene discussions on putting it in the final agreement. Cutting Emissions Negotiators are trying to put together a mitigation work program that would capture the various measures countries have committed to reducing emissions, including for specific sectors such as energy and transport. Many of these pledges are not formally part of the UN process, meaning they cannot easily be scrutinized at the annual meeting. 
A proposed draft agreement circulated early Saturday had more than 200 square brackets, meaning large sections were still unresolved. Some countries want the plan to be valid for only one year, while others say a longer term roadmap is needed. Expect fireworks in the days ahead. Shunning fossil fuels. Last year's meeting almost collapsed over a demand to explicitly state in the final agreement that coal should be phased out. In the end, countries agreed on several loopholes, and there are concerns among climate campaigners that negotiators from nations which are heavily dependent on fossil fuels for their energy needs or as revenue might try to roll back previous commitments. Money matters. Rich countries have fallen short on a pledge to mobilize $100 billion a year by 2020 in climate finance for poor nations. This has opened up a rift of distrust that negotiators are hoping to close with fresh pledges. But needs are growing and a higher, new target needs to be set from 2025 onward. Compensation. The subject of climate compensation was once considered taboo due to concerns from rich countries that they might be on the hook for vast sums. But intense pressure from developing countries forced the issue of quote, loss and damage unquote, onto the formal agenda at the talks for the first time this year. Whether there will be a deal to promote further technical work or the creation of an actual fund remains to be seen. This could become a key flashpoint in the talks. More donors. One way to raise additional cash and resolve the thorny issue of polluter payment would be for those countries that have seen an economic boom in the past three decades to step up. The focus is chiefly on China, the world's biggest emitter, but others could be asked to open their purses too. Broadening the donor base isn't formally on the agenda. But developed countries want reassurances about that in the final texts. Cash constraints. Countries such as Britain and Germany want all financial flows to align with the long term goals of the Paris Accord. Other nations object to such a rule, fearing they may have money withheld if they don't meet the strict targets. But there is chatter that the issue may get broader support next week if it helps unlock other areas of the negotiations. Side deals. Last year's meeting saw a raft of agreements signed which weren't formally part of the talks. Some have also been unveiled in Egypt, though hopes for a series of announcements on so called JIST transition partnerships. Where developed countries help poorer nations wean themselves off fossil fuels aren't likely to bear fruit until after COP27. Hope till the end. Jennifer Morgan, a former head of Greenpeace who recently became Germany's climate envoy, called the talks this year, quote, challenging, unquote. Quote, But I can promise you we will be working until the very last second to ensure that we can reach an ambitious and equitable outcome. Unquote, she said. Quote, we are reaching for the stars while keeping our feet on the ground.、Unquote. APS asking for recommendations on repurposing Sable and Paris Elementary Schools by Karina Julig, Sentinel Staff Writer. 
November 10, 2022. Aurora. Aurora Public Schools is asking community members to participate in an online survey soliciting feedback about potential repurposing options for Sable and Paris Elementary Schools. The survey is available online on the district's website in English and Spanish and nine other languages and will be open through November 30th. It is open to APS students, parents, and employees along with other Aurora community members. The district made the decision to close both elementary schools at the end of the current school year as part of Blueprint APS. It's a long-term facilities plan in response to declining enrollment in the district. This school year, the district is focused on deciding how school buildings that have been closed or scheduled for closure will be used afterwards. Along with the survey, the district is in the process of holding a series of community input sessions in person and over Zoom in November. In December, it will open up an online portal where proposals for alternate uses for the buildings can be submitted. The input sessions are scheduled for Monday, November 14th at 6 p.m. virtually at zoom.us forward slash j forward slash 9457629685. Four. Tuesday, November 15th at 3.30 p.m., Sable Elementary School, 2601 Sable Boulevard. And Wednesday, November 16th at 3.30 p.m., Paris Elementary School, 1635 Paris Street. Further information is available on the district's Blueprint APS webpage. Community College of Aurora hosting free play about Life of Henrietta Lacks by Karina Julig, Sentinel Staff Writer, November 11, 2022. Aurora. The Community College of Aurora's Theater Department is holding a production of, quote, Hila, the Story of Henrietta Lacks, unquote, this Friday and Saturday. The play is free and open to the public. Henrietta Lacks was a black woman from Baltimore who died of cancer in 1951. Cancer cells taken from her body during treatment at Johns Hopkins Hospital were used without her knowledge to create the HeLa cell line, which has been used extensively in medical research in the ensuing decades on everything from polio to HIV and cancer. Stacy D'Angelo, CCA's theater director, said that Quote, the Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, unquote, by Rebecca Sklut was the college's, quote, big read, unquote, this year. A tradition where students in many departments throughout the college all read the same book and connect it to their education. D'Angelo thought it would be a great idea for the theater department to join in by having a play about Lacks for this year's fall production. Quote, I thought it would be really cool for students to engage with the text in that way, unquote, she said. When searching for options, she found, quote, Gila, unquote, by Lauren Gunderson and Geetha Reddy, which has only been performed once before in Berkeley. 
CCA's performance will be the show's regional premiere. Quote, it's a really cool opportunity for us to engage with a play that hasn't been produced much before, unquote, she said. D'Angelo described theater as a container to talk about emotional and powerful subjects and said that the play has a lot of intense subject matter for students to wrestle with, from the racism and lack of access to good medical care that Lax and her family struggled with to her death from cancer which is something that almost everyone has been affected by. D'Angelo is a cancer survivor herself and said she thought a lot about how she wouldn't be here without the benefit of chemotherapy, which was developed with the use of HeLa cells. Quote, when you think about it, every single human being has been touched by her cells, unquote, she said. The play has 15 cast members and three technicians and is made up of students from CCA's theater classes and others from across campus who auditioned. Throughout the production, D'Angelo said the cast thought a lot about what it meant to be portraying real-life historical figures. Quote, We really dug into what this all means to portray a real family's story with the respect and dignity that it deserves. Unquote, she said. The play is free to the public and has showings on Friday and Saturday at 7.30 p.m. in the CCA Fine Arts Building on the Center Tech Campus, 16,000 East Center Tech Parkway. Democrat Jared Polis re-elected to second term as Colorado's governor by James Anderson, Sentinel, Colorado, November 8, 2022. Denver Democrat Jared Polis handily won a second term as Colorado's governor Tuesday, fending off a spirited challenge from Republican Heidi Ganahl, a business entrepreneur who was seeking to become the state's first GOP governor since 2007. Polis, a wealthy tech entrepreneur who's largely self-funded his campaign, insisted that Colorado quickly emerged from the coronavirus shutdown, poised for strong economic growth. He championed first-term success in healthcare affordability, fully funded kindergarten and preschool, and vowed to continue his relentless pursuit to move Colorado's electrical grid to renewable energy by 2040. President Joe Biden called Polis Tuesday evening to congratulate Polis on his victory, and at a Democratic watch party at a Denver hotel, the governor thanked Ganahl and extended goodwill to those who voted against him. Quote, whether you voted for me or not, I will work as hard as I possibly can on behalf of you and your family. Unquote. Polis said as his supporters hooted and hollered, brandishing signs reading, quote, strong, steady, proven, unquote. During the campaign, Ganahl tried pinning the blame on Polis for inflation, surging crime, underperforming schools, and opioid overdose rates affecting youth. She insisted she'd eliminate the state income tax and ask voters to reconsider a law signed by Polis enshrining the right to abortion into state law. Ganahl is a University of Colorado regent. Ganahl campaigned on the slogan, quote, hashtag mad mom, unquote, 
as she tried painting an ominous portrait of the state. Polis countered by calling himself a, quote, happy dad, unquote, of two kids who he is raising in what he called, quote, the best state of all the states, unquote. About 7 in 10 Colorado voters say things in the country are heading in the wrong direction, according to AP VoteCast. An expansive survey of more than 2,700 voters in the state. About three quarters of voters say the condition of the economy is either not so good or poor, the survey found, compared with about a quarter who call it excellent or good. About a third say their family is falling behind financially. The Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade the 1973 decision that recognized a constitutional right to abortion also played a role in most voters' decisions, with about 8 in 10 calling it a factor in how they cast their ballot. About a quarter call the court's overturning of Roe the single most important factor in their vote. Courtney Dennis, a 20-year-old psychology student, said the main reason she voted for Polis is to protect abortion rights for all women, even though she long opposed abortion on a personal level. Citing the Supreme Court's Roe decision, she said, quote, I realized things can happen to people without them choosing it, and it's important to at least have a choice in having an abortion, unquote. During the campaign, Polis criticized Ganahl for appointing a running mate who has claimed that Joe Biden was not legitimately elected president in 2020. A majority of Colorado voters, about three quarters, say they are confident that ballots will be counted accurately, according to the poll, though about two in ten say they are either not too confident or not at all confident. James Hample 47, an engineer and registered Democrat, said he was voting for Ganahl because he feels Colorado Democrats have moved too far to the left and given too much leeway to criminals. Quote, Democrats are letting people get away with too much, unquote, Ample said as he voted in suburban Arveda. Quote, we shouldn't be far right and we shouldn't be far left. We should be more central, unquote. Associated Press writers Sarah Rankin in Washington, D.C. and Jesse Bedane in Arveda contributed to this report. On Election Day, Arrowhead Elementary students vote on new mascot by Karina Julig, Sentinel Staff Writer, November 8, 2022. Aurora Arrowhead Elementary students got a taste of the democratic process this election day as students voted to determine the school's new mascot. The school discontinued use of its previous mascot, the Thunderbird, after the Colorado legislator passed a law in 2021 prohibiting the use of Native American mascots by schools unless they have an agreement with a specific tribe. Arrowhead was one of several Colorado schools that was asked to change its mascot from the Thunderbird, a mythical bird found in Native American legends, after the law took effect. 
School principal Kelsey Jones said the school has conducted a year-long process of identifying its core values and asking community members to submit new mascots that were reflective of those ideas. On Tuesday, students voted for the three finalists: Fox, Lion, or Stegosaurus. The school's 490 students. Teachers and staff, as well as parents and alumni, were invited to vote, and the winning choice will be unveiled at the end of the month. Along with the need for a new mascot, Jones said the process also gave the school the opportunity to teach kids about the voting process and the importance of civic engagement. Quote, "This is a way for them to be part of the decision." Unquote, said Teresa Durbin, an in-house substitute teacher at Arrowhead, who was manning the voting station on Tuesday. The station had individual privacy booths where students could vote by circling their top choice on a ballot and a box to drop ballots into. Classes came by throughout the day, and each student was given an quote. I voted. Unquote, sticker. The core values that the school identified were community, family, resilience, and strength. Jones said, "Each mascot choice embodies those in its own way. Lions live in prides and represent courage and strength. Foxes are playful, social creatures and reflect the diversity of the Arrowhead community." Because they have many hues and live on every continent, the Stegosaurus is the Colorado state fossil, and Jones said dinosaur bones found in Morrison suggest they were social creatures who traveled in herds. The plates on Stegosaurus's backs also resemble arrowheads, she said. Third grader Abigail Elias voted for the fox. Quote. Because they're cute and energetic and playful, unquote. Dayton Quinn, also in third grade, voted for the Stegosaurus because he liked that their plates resembled arrowheads. Both students said they enjoyed being able to participate in the election process. As she ushered a new class into the voting station, Durbin reminded students of how the election process worked. Quote. If your vote doesn't win, we're not going to be sad or mad because all of these are great choices for Arrowhead. Unquote, she said. Jones said that teachers were able to discuss the voting process in a way that was developmentally appropriate for their students. Older grades discussed the political process and the value of expressing your opinion using facts. Younger students focused on concepts like consensus building, and that while everyone's vote is important, not everyone will be able to win. Students also quote campaigned unquote for their favorite mascot by putting up posters along the hallways and airing campaign ads in the school's in-house news program. Jones said the importance of accuracy came up when one of the ads included information that was untrue. That dinosaur bones had been found under the school. Quote, "I did fact check that." Unquote, she said. The Stegosaurus seems to be the leading candidate. Joan said, though the fox has also garnered a lot of support. Quote, "Kids love dinosaurs." Unquote, she said. Quote, 
A lot of our kids like the Stegosaurus because no one else has it as a mascot. It's unique and special. Unquote. The winning mascot will be unveiled at a school assembly November 29th. Littleton Designer Ready for High Court Fight on Excluding Gay Couples by Jesse Bedane, Associated Press, Report for America, November 8, 2022. Littleton A Christian web designer who contends her religious beliefs prevent her from making wedding websites for gay couples said Monday that her legal battle in the U.S. Supreme Court next month is about protecting everyone's right to free speech. Lori Smith spoke about her case, which is the latest clash over religion and LGBTQ rights to reach the nation's highest court while sitting in the office she uses for her design company in Littleton. The room was adorned with two crosses and a wooden plaque inscribed with a line from Ephesians, quote, I am God's masterpiece, unquote. Smith claims Colorado's anti-discrimination law violates her right to free speech over same-sex marriages, which she maintains are antithetical to her Christian values. Though Smith hasn't yet expanded to her services to include wedding websites with her company, 303 Creative, she said she's dreamed about doing so since she was a child. Quote, Colorado is censoring and compelling my speech, unquote, said Smith, who identifies as evangelical non-denominational. Quote, forcing me to communicate celebrate, and create for messages that go against my deeply held beliefs, unquote. Her argument is debatable. David Cole, National Legal Director for the ACLU, which opposes Smith's suit, contends that the state's anti-discrimination law merely requires businesses offer their services to everyone and does not curtail speech. Smith would be within her right to include a statement on her website saying that she disagrees with same-sex marriage, Cole said, but she cannot refuse to serve customers based on their sexual orientation. To Cole, a ruling in Smith's favor would be opening Pandora's box. Quote, if 303 Creative prevails here, then any business that can be characterized as expressive, and that's a lot of businesses, can start putting up signs saying no Jews served, no Christians served, no blacks served, unquote, Cole said. Quote, we had that practice during Jim Crow. I don't think we want that practice back again, unquote. Smith's case, which is scheduled to be heard on December 5th, comes before a U.S. Supreme Court that now has a majority of conservative judges. The court has recently overturned women's constitutional right to an abortion and set a new precedent for gun control regulations in a case in New York. Cole argues the designer still faces an uphill battle because the court has disagreed with similar arguments in the past. Quote, if the court rules for Lori Smith, it would have to reverse a long line of precedents and breaks from an unbroken set of cases, unquote, Cole said. Smith, who says she served LGBTQ clients, claims the lawsuit is not about gay marriage or the customer, 
only the freedom from being coerced into expressing ideas contrary to her beliefs. She believes a ruling in her favor would protect everyone's free speech. The court has said it would look only at the free speech issue in Smith's case. It said it would decide whether a law that requires an artist to speak or stay silent violates the free speech clause of the First Amendment. The impetus to file her lawsuit challenging Colorado's law, Smith said, was not just about her own business, but also what she said was the way the state pushed others of her faith to act against their beliefs, such as cake baker Jack Phillips. Phillips, who had refused to bake a wedding cake for a gay couple in 2012, also faced off in the high court against Colorado. A 2018 U.S. Supreme Court decision gave Phillips a partial victory, saying that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission had acted with anti-religious bias against Phillips. But it did not rule on the larger issue of whether a business can invoke religious objections to refuse service to LGBTQ people. Quote, I don't think I really have another choice than to stand up not only for my right but the rights of others, unquote, said Smith. Quote, that includes myself as an artist and it also includes the LGBT web designer who should not be forced to create and design messages that oppose same-sex marriage, unquote. Officers charged in Platteville train crash into patrol car with suspect by Colleen Slevin, Associated Press, November 7, 2022. Denver Two police officers involved in the arrest of a woman who was seriously injured when the parked patrol car she was in was hit by a freight train in Platteville were charged Monday. Prosecutors also announced that the woman... Yarini Rios-Gonzalez, who was arrested after a report of an alleged road rage incident involving a gun before the crash, was also charged with felony menacing. The Weld County District Attorney's Office announced the charges in a statement. It provided basic court documents listing the charges but said it would not provide further details because of, quote, pending litigation, unquote. The documents did not include a narrative about what the officers allegedly did leading up to the September 16th crash, which was captured on police body camera footage. Rios Gonzalez's lawyer, Paul Wilkinson, who has said he planned to file suit over the crash, did not immediately return a telephone call seeking comment. Of the two police officers, Fort Lupton officer Jordan Stink forces the most serious charges, attempted manslaughter and second-degree assault, both felonies. No lawyers were listed as representing her in online court records yet, and no contact information for her was listed on the department's website. Pablo Vasquez, a sergeant from the neighboring city of Platteville, identified on body camera footage as the arresting officer, was charged with five counts of reckless endangerment for allegedly putting Rios Gonzalez, Stink, and other people at risk, as well as for traffic-related violations including parking where prohibited. 
A telephone message and email sent to Vasquez at work were not immediately returned. Online court records did not list an attorney representing him yet either. Following the crash, Vasquez told other officers on body camera footage that he thought he had cleared the tracks when he parked his patrol vehicle behind Rios Gonzalez's truck to arrest her. He said he was focused on her because he was concerned about weapons. He also said he did not know that the other officer he was working with from another department, who was not identified, had put Rios Gonzalez in his patrol vehicle until after it was hit by the train. He said the, quote, saving grace, unquote, was that the other officer put Rios Gonzalez on the side of the vehicle not usually used for people who are arrested. Other people from Vasquez's body camera show him and another officer searching Rios Gonzalez's truck as the train approaches and its horn is blaring. Vasquez asks the other officer several times over the sound of the train's rumbling whether Rios Gonzalez was in the patrol vehicle and she responds, on hand to her face, quote, oh my god, yes, she was, unquote. Other police video shows officers scrambling as the train approaches and slams into the vehicle. Police, man dead after hit and run on East Hampton Avenue by Kara Mason, Sentinel Managing Editor, November 11th, 2022. Aurora Police say a hit-and-run crash near Meadow Hills Golf Course Thursday night left one man dead. Aurora police officers were called to the intersection of East Hampton Avenue and South Dawson Street just before 11 p.m. November 10th. They discovered a man, who has yet to be identified, was laying in the left lane of eastbound traffic when he was hit by a black SUV. The SUV did not stop upon hitting the man, who was pronounced dead at the scene, police said. The death marks the 42nd traffic fatality in 2022. Police are asking anybody with information about the crash or the driver to contact Metro Crime Stoppers. Tipsters could earn a reward up to $2,000. Thank you for joining us for the Arapahoe County News. My name is Pablo. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.